Today's reading from Matthew's Gospel involves two groups that we need to introduce you to a little bit. On one side, you've got the Herodians, who are the cynical political insiders of Jerusalem, of the Jerusalem aristocracy. They support the puppet king Herod Antipas, who is the son of Herod the Great. Uh, Herod Antipas has enriched himself and his cronies while helping the Roman Empire maintain a brutal military foothold in Judea. And over here, you've got the Pharisees, who are a popular and sincere religious revival group, struggling valiantly to maintain an authentic Jewish presence within this violent pagan empire. But admittedly, sometimes, in their concern for orthodoxy, they could be a little narrow and legalistic sometimes. And that's where sometimes they get into some some arguments with Jesus. And so the Herodians and the Pharisees do not hang out together. They hate each other. They hate each other. But in this reading, they've discovered something they hate even more than each other, and that's this rabbi from the north who's come to talk about the renewal of the Jewish faith. This Jesus is getting a little big for his britches. He's questioning the authority of the Pharisees, which they do not take kindly to. And in just the previous chapter in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus is recorded as going into the Temple Mount and overturning the tables um, as people are coming toward the temple. And Herod's lieutenants don't particularly like there being demonstrations on their watch or in their town either. And so politics makes strange bedfellows. The Herodians and the Pharisees get together to figure out how they can trap Jesus and see if they can get him arrested. And that's where this begins. So they come with cloyingly insincere words at the beginning. And then they get to the point. A Pharisee says, does it accord with Torah that we should pay taxes to the emperor or not? It was a beautifully designed question to get Jesus in trouble no matter how he answered. The tax in question went to support the brutal military occupation of the Holy Land. The coin that was used to pay the tax was the denarius, which was a small silver coin that was worth about a day's wage. Uh, There's a picture of it on the front of your bulletin uh, from a generation before Jesus' time. One on your cover is, has the, the face of Augustus Caesar on it. Now, the amount of this denarius was not that great. There were many other taxes and fees that made life a lot more difficult for Jewish peasants and tenant farmers in those days. But the symbolism of that denarius coin was powerful because on the coin was struck the graven image of the emperor. In Jesus' day, 
that portrait would not have been of Augustus, but of Tiberius Caesar. The coin's abbreviated inscription around the circumference read, Tiberius Caesar Divi Augustus Pontifex Maximus, or Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine Augustus High Priest. The coin literally proclaimed Tiberius to be the son of a god. As you might suspect, this was um, a tad scandalous to Jewish sensibilities. It was idolatry of the most debased kind. Because of that, the denarius coin, in fact, all Roman coins, were forbidden to be carried on the Temple Mount, which happens to be where this showdown is going down. That's the reason there were money changers at the entrance to the Temple Mount. If you showed up with a whole bunch of Roman money, there were money exchangers who would be more than happy at a beneficial exchange rate for them to change your uh, idolatrous Roman coins to lawful Jewish shekel coins. Those were the tables that Jesus has just overturned in, in the Temple Mount. And so this is the trap. If Jesus says, no, that's an idolatrous coin, you should not pay taxes for our enslavement to Rome, the people will be really happy, and he'll get arrested and probably executed by the Roman authorities. But if he says, oh, geez, that denarius isn't that much, just go and pay the tax, and we'll get on with other things. Well, then the Romans will relax, but the people will um, disappear from his movement. They've set a trap and it seems bulletproof. And I can imagine the Pharisees, the Herodians, the Roman authorities, all of the people leaning in to hear what it is Jesus is going to say. So as I envision this scene in my head, I imagine Jesus patting down all his pockets. Do, do ropes have pockets? I don't know, whatever. But going, Holy fellers, I, I just don't seem to have one of them coins with me. Uh, can, 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 can one of you kind gentlemen show me this coin you're talking about? And then one of them, too anxious for the kill, whips out a denarius coin. Which they're not supposed to have on the Temple Mount. Bad move. <laughs> So they're already caught in the face of the crowd as, as the hypocrites that they are. And then Jesus goes one step further and says, and could you tell me whose image is on the face of that coin? Like he doesn't know. And they say, Caesar. And he says, well, obviously it belongs to Caesar. Give it back to Caesar. And give to God what is God's. So I really love this scene. Uh, I love how Jesus brilliantly evades a bulletproof, escape-proof trap. I love how Jesus gets the religiously powerful and the politically connected to display their own hypocrisy without him doing a thing. But, as much as I love this story, 
That's really not the point or the power of the story. What makes this story matter 2,000 years later is not how clever Jesus was. What makes this narrative matter is that Jesus is speaking to us. Today. When Jesus says in his best King James English, Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God the things that are God, he's not talking about taxes. He's inviting me, maybe even challenging me, to ask, what of myself do I offer to God? And to realize that the faithful answer to that question is everything. All of me, giving all of myself over to God and to God's good purpose in the world. The denarius coin was stamped with the image of Caesar. It belongs to Caesar. We are all stamped with the image of God, as Genesis 1 proclaims. We belong to God. We want to share with you again some words from our friend Steve Garnes-Holmes, who says this so eloquently. He writes, You are made in God's image, stamped with God's fingerprints, the likeness of God's love. Give yourself, who are God's, to God. Let God alone spend you. Only God knows what you have been saved for, and whatever it is, you will be well spent. Release your hands, excuse me, release yourself into the hands of the gracious one and trust you are worth much. Release yourself into the hands of the gracious one, which to me is a more compelling translation of the Aramaic than render unto God what is God's. Release yourself, let go, let go and let God, as they say in the 12-step program. This story from Matthew's Gospel is a call to radical trust. To know in your heart of hearts that God has got you. To know that we can live better and more fully and more lovingly when we put our trust in God rather than in Caesar or even in ourselves. This story is also a call to radical gratitude, knowing that everything we have and everything we are is a beautiful gift 
of God. Even when you're not feeling very beautiful, you are a beautiful gift of God. Even when you're not feeling particularly lovely or lovable, you are a beautiful gift of God. Releasing ourselves fully and thankfully into the strong and gentle arms of God, trusting completely the one in whose image you are created, helps us put our lives into a better order. Caesar has us ask questions that are are transactional and zero-sum, like, will Will, will this decision help me get ahead? Will, will doing this strengthen my bottom line? Will this give me more social status? Releasing myself into trusting God, I ask different questions. How can I best live out the reflection of the divine in me? How can I live in a way that recognizes and celebrates the divine in you? And what does it look like to release myself into the hands of the gracious one? So I want to tell you a story about this happening on a very small and very holy scale. It was in my very first congregation in Adamant, Vermont, the entire building of which would have fit very easily into the sanctuary. (laughs) The sanctuary held maybe 40 people if you were all really good friends. It was a small church. And one Sunday we were doing communion, and as I always did, I I blessed the loaf and broke it, and people were coming up, and I gave them their bread, and they dipped it in the cup, and they went back to their seats. And one of the folks who came forward was a young woman with her two-year-old toddler on her hip. And I gave her the bread and said, this is the body of Christ. And then I looked at her two-year-old and I gave him a piece of bread and I said, this is the body of Christ, buddy. And he took the bread and then he gave me this sort of sly smile. And with his other hand, from behind his back, he produced a Ritz cracker. (laughs) A little nibbled around the edges. and gave it to me. And I thought, this child understands communion. We debate about the theology of communion, and I don't know that we ever really understand communion entirely, but he understands that I am sharing something holy with him, and he's going to share a holy Ritz cracker with me, even if it's just a little nibbled. It was a gift from him to me, and it spoke volumes to me of how each of us brings our peace to God, and in the hands of the gracious one, it is enough. Today is the start of our stewardship season here at Harvard Epworth. In the tradition I grew up in, This was the season where the pastor got up every Sunday and said, 
We need to meet next year's budget. Wait, wait, you did not grow up in the South. Midwest. <laughs> but they did not use that accent. That's not fair. We need to meet next year's budget. I'll do my R's, my Chicago R's. Please give generously so that we can keep the doors open and the lights on. So spoiler alert, we are not going to do that this morning, right? What we are going to do over the next few weeks is we're going to hear stories from some of you, several of you, about how pledging, how making a commitment to what you'll give to Harvard Epworth in the coming year, how that's a part of how you put your trust in God, how it's a way that you give to God what is God's. How it's one of the ways that you say, God's got this. God's got me. And then together on November 12th is a Sunday that we'll make our commitments, make our pledges for the coming year in ways that demonstrate our trust, our ability to put ourselves in the hands of the Gracious One. You'll be hearing about trust. You'll be hearing about depending on God. You'll be hearing about our connections to each other and the divine a lot over the next few weeks. For today, though, we invite you to stay with these words from Steve Garnis Holmes. Release yourself into the hands of the Gracious One and trust. Amen. Our next hymn is number 405 in the Red Hymnal, Seek Ye First. And you can say, translate kingdom as kingdom or as realm, or if you like kingdom, or if you like the original Greek, you can say basileia. That's cool too. Number 405.